Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 257. Hey, my Richers, I'm Hayut, and it's a pleasure to be here today with you. When I asked my guest today, Chris Bill, for his best advice to entrepreneurs, he said, One thing I find that the number one mistake that entrepreneurs make is that they build the product before they sell the product, and I think they should do it the other way around. I highly recommend that any entrepreneur who wants to be a product entrepreneur, especially in B2B, start by having conversations, sales conversations, not server conversations. If you are not doing it under pressure, you are probably not really doing it. So try to sell your product before you build it and be serious about it. And I do agree with Chris. Most entrepreneurs have a very clear picture in mind as to who their customers are. Unfortunately, most of the time, they are wrong. If you don't know who your customers are, you won't reach them. Let's learn one of the best-kept secrets to business success. The secret to finding more paying customers is not to convince as many people as possible to buy your product or service. It is to find those people who need your product or service right now and who will be the first to buy it. And in order to do that, you need to have those conversations with customers. Let's meet my guest today, Chris Beal. For 30 years, Chris Beal has led software startups as a founder or an early-stage developer. He believes the most powerful part of a software system is the human being, and that the value key is to let the computer do what it does well, go fast without getting bored, in order to free up human potential. Chris is currently CEO of Connect and Sell, based in Silicon Valley, and hosts a podcast at marketdominanceguys.com. Chris Bill, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi, Hayut. This is tremendous to be here with you. I'm so happy you are here. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I want to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you headed? So what I'm doing now these days and have been doing for quite a while is running a company as CEO. The company is called Connect and Sell, all one word. And what we're attempting to do is to help companies dominate their markets by leading with the human voice. So in a world full of email, social media, all sorts of things, we believe that human conversations change everything. And we provide a way for somebody to have a conversation with whomever they want, with somebody on their list, in three or four minutes with no effort whatsoever. And then that's 
primarily used by business-to-business companies to help them in their sales, but it has some other uses. So I've been here for 10 years, eight years as CEO, and uh, I've been passionate for a long time about having computers and humans work together in a way that unleashes each the strength of each. Fantastic. And that's what you're doing today. It's computers and humans that talk together. Exactly, exactly. I've been on this sort of human and computer together mission for about 40 years. Wow. And um, been building companies that, that allow, in my opinion, computers to do what they do well, which is go fast and not get bored, <laughs> and humans to do what they do well, which is to have insights and make decisions that uh, might not be completely obvious and to work with other human beings in a way that they can be trusted. As I say, uh, it's impossible to ever trust a vendor's robot. <laughs> That's right. right. But it's actually also impossible to not trust another human being who shows you that they see the world through your eyes and they're ready to solve a problem that you have right now. Fantastic. Please tell me a bit about yourself. How did you start? What was your career path? Well, I was raised out in the desert in Arizona, hmm. pretty far away from most people. So it was a world of uh, wild, uh, wild things. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, surrounded by desert. So we had coyotes and rattlesnakes and all that sort of thing. And we also had animals. And so in one way, I was raised by animals, by horses and, uh, you know, dogs and cats and goats and all manner of creatures like that. Wow. I think that's how I learned how to sell. I think my first <laughs> sale ever where I was successful was getting a bridle on a horse when I was seven years old <laughs> with no help. That's a, that's a pretty good sale. Yes, it is. And uh, the other feature of my childhood was that our house was full of books. Okay. My dad was... A very avid reader, and in fact, the day after my dad passed away a few years ago, we found a manifesto that he had written, essentially dedicating his life to reading and understanding the best that had ever been written and thought. Wow. And he didn't tell us he was doing this, but he, he did it, and it showed in all these books. So it was an unusual upbringing with animals and books and a few friends that I could ride my horse over to see. <laughs> and I think it, it shaped me to be... An introspective extrovert, which is kind of an unusual creature, somebody who is left alone a lot and um, and yet I like being around people so somehow all of that led me into the world of science. I was very interested in mathematics and interested in the physical sciences um, i I believe back in nineteen seventy two I might have done well on our national mathematics contest here in the u s beautiful and uh And, and then I ended up getting a degree in physics, but I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. And in fact, I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach physics at my old high school where I went to school. Yeah. And when it came time to actually take that job, my high school teacher, Carrie Wilcox, took me aside and said, I want to let you know something that might change your mind about teaching. And here I was with this dream of being a teacher. And she said to me, You are an entrepreneur by nature. <laughs> you should start companies. I invest in my former students' companies. This was all a revelation to me. That wow. She was an angel investor. And she said, you can teach if you want to, but I don't want you to. Go off into industry, 
get a job in some field where there's a lot of opportunity. She said, you're perpetually dissatisfied with how things are. And that's what you need to be as an entrepreneur is you need to be dissatisfied and willing to go through what it takes to change something. Wow. And so um, I reluctantly followed her instructions, went and got a job at NCR, big computer company at the time in 1979. Yeah. And sure enough, I was dissatisfied <laughs> fairly quickly. <laughs> and so that led me down a path where within four years, I was starting my first company in partnership with a guy in Boulder, Colorado named John Ryden, and we built a, a, the first uh, ERP system Whoa. ever built on the Unix operating system back in 1984. Really? Wow. And from there, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you start companies. <laughs> so this is, this is just one more. What's unusual about this company is I didn't really help start it. So I've usually been in on the ground floor of the companies that I've worked with, and I've been the guy who's architected the product, the product vision, um, you know, was the head of software engineering. I'm also a programmer. I've written, I don't know how many lines of code, million Whoa. or more lines of code in my life. Do you love that? And so that's always been my role. But at Connect and Sell, it, 10 years ago, I ran into a very interesting person named Sean McLaren, who was the CEO of Connect and Sell at the time. And we were just meeting in very early morning, 6.30 a.m. meeting at the Rosewood Hotel where all the venture capitalists hang out in Menlo Park, California in the Bay Area. And what he told me stopped me in my tracks. And I basically just said to him, hang on a second. Let me see if I got this right. You've reinvented the business telephone to call a list instead of an individual. And the result is a 10 times speed up in the most valuable thing in business which is getting a conversation between somebody who might have a problem and somebody who might be able to help solve that problem. Wow. And he said, yes. And I said, huh, I'm in. And he asked me, what do you mean you're in? And I said, well, I'm in, I'm working <laughs> for you now. And he said, well, what if I'm not hiring? And I said, come on, Sean, this is America. It's a free country. I can work for whomever I want and I choose to work for you. You can choose to pay me wow. or not. And that's how I got started at this wow. job. And Are you part of the founders today or you're still uh, working for Sean? I'm still working for Sean. I mean, I'm considered by most people to be some kind of co-founder. I rebuilt the product and stuff like that. But Sean really is, he, he is the guy who made the company go. It was technically founded by a couple of other guys earlier, but uh, it's, it took Sean coming in back in 2007 in order to... Uh, really get the company on a footing where it had a chance of growing. And then he hired me in order to help um, kind of, you know, get it ready to, to, uh, to scale, but also to really find the markets that made the most sense. And so in a way, I'm a hired gun now, kind of, but I've been around for 10 years. So that's kind of a long, uh, that's a long tenure for a hired gun. Yes, it is. You are an entrepreneur in your soul, as we heard, and I want to ask you, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listening to us right now, mainly regarding the customer focus or the customer's approach, but it can be regarding other topics as well? Sure. I have a strong point of view about, about uh, entrepreneurship, especially B2B. I don't know a lot about entrepreneurship. 
B2C consumer-oriented businesses. In fact, I would contend that I'm such a poor consumer (laughs) uh, that I am unqualified to have an opinion about a consumer-oriented business. But I know a fair amount about starting and growing and succeeding at business-to-business. And one thing I find that's the number one mistake that entrepreneurs make is they build the product before they sell the product. And I think you should do it the other way around. My friend Venkat Mohan, who is a venture capitalist at Norwest Venture Partners, used to be a a colleague of mine. So he worked with me in Boulder, Colorado at one of the companies. He was a hired gun, actually, came in to be president. And we became very close. And, And one day he said to me when he was a venture capitalist, he said, the secret to good investment is to go sell the paper product first. And, and I asked him, what is a paper product? And he said, well, you, you just write down the benefits and have some idea of how it would work so that you, you're not just making up what he called a flying car. You're actually talking about something that can be done. And then just go out and sell it. And you will get a response back from attempting to sell your product before you build it that will tell you first, should you bother? Should you build it at all? But secondly, you'll learn so much in those sales conversations with prospective customers that by the time you're done and you're ready to build your 1.0 or your minimal viable product or whatever you want to call it, you will not make the biggest mistake, which is building a product that nobody wants so or that doesn't solve a real problem. So I highly recommend that any entrepreneur that wants to be a product entrepreneur, especially in B2B, Start by having conversations, sales conversations, not survey conversations. It's like anything else. Um, If you're not doing it under pressure, you're probably not really doing it. Hmm. So go out and try to sell your product before you build it and be serious about it. And by the time you're, you're done, if you do decide to launch, first, you'll have customers already in place, which solves your number one risk. And secondly, you'll have a pretty good idea of the one thing you can do in your product that solves one problem that they have right now, they'll be willing to pay you for. And so you'll have a shot at success by avoiding the first way that folks fail. Wow. I love that advice. Beautiful. I'm sure you got a lot of successes and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to ask you what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? Well, I can go back to 1984. A company was called Unison Software. And Unison was an ERP system before there were ERP systems. So it was what was called an MRP2 system. It was intended to help primarily manufacturers with their processes around bills of material and so forth, but it had a complete accounting system in it. So it was end-to-end accounts receivable, accounts payable, uh, general ledger, but also procurement and project management and bill of material management, production management. So it was very ambitious. It was built by uh, only six of us, an intensive process of building it. And the biggest failure that we had was we had two markets that we could go after, two kinds of markets. We had discrete manufacturing, folks who put parts together in order to make a a product. 
And then there was what's called continuous or flow manufacturing, like you're making uh, something like soap, you know, where you're mixing stuff together and it flows through a system. So there's no parts. There's there's uh, inputs and outputs and then control conditions and all that kind of stuff. And what we failed to do rather dramatically was to focus on one or the other. And we could have done very well, I believe, in retrospect, had we focused on only the flow manufacturers. And we had some very good relationships with a few of them, like uh, Lever Brothers, where we were working with their co-packers, uh, Hewish Chemical in Salt Lake City, for instance. Yeah. And had we gone deep just with that particular kind of customer, then our investors would have been more patient with us because our successes would have been more repeatable. But instead, we were tempted to also work with discrete manufacturers like Honeywell, for instance, yeah. on a particular problem that they had, just serial number control. They needed to know uh, where every serial number of every pro you know, every product by serial number had been shipped to because the, there were things that would fail in the field part of bigger systems and they needed to be able to go and track those failures down okay. by splitting our attention between those two markets. Instead of getting twice as much, we got impatient investors and they drove us down a path that was impossible. It turned out, which was to shrink wrap the software. And um, I ended up actually licensing the software to Sun Microsystems and going to work there as a consultant. Then the company failed six months later. Wow. Sad story. And now I would like to ask you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Sure. So it was uh, 1998, and I was at a company called Requisite Technology. And Requisite had the world's most advanced at that time electronic cataloging technology for business to business. And we had just lost the underpinnings of that technology when my prior company was purchased by a competitor. Oh. And so we had to do something. So first we had to invent a whole new cataloging technology from scratch, which we managed to do in six weeks. Wow. And we did it by simplifying and accepting that something everybody said was true which was it was impossible to build this kind of technology on top of a conventional relational database like Oracle, that maybe it wasn't true. Okay. And so um, we took a shot at that and, and built that, uh, that product, very primitive first version of it. The big triumph, the big success was that by focusing only on four customers for the entire year and having only one salesperson, and that was myself, the chief technology officer, <laughs> We shut down sales. No one was allowed to call on any other customers to distract us. And I focused on four customers, Corporate Express, which sold office products, WW Granger, which sold maintenance, repair, and operations products, the biggest catalog of that stuff in the world, Oracle themselves, and SAP. Okay. And in that order, by simply paying attention to each one of them one at a time, and going deep with them, showing them the product, opening up our secrets, and really sharing with them and trying to understand what is the problem they wanted to solve, but being urgent about it, getting something done quickly. By the time six months had gone by, yeah. we had sold 
approximately at that point about $30 million. Wow. So we had no cash in the bank at that point uh, when we started this process in January. And by the time we got to the end of June, we had these four major customers. And one of them, in fact, ended up paying us over $120 million for that product uh, over the next Fantastic. five years. Wow. What a beautiful story. <laughs> well, you know, the secret to the whole thing, by the way, was getting a sense of what they really wanted. So, for instance, at SAP, they have an, an operation in Palo Alto, which is a laboratory called SAP Labs at the time. Yeah. And I simply flew from uh, Denver, Colorado, Boulder, where I live. So I drive to Denver. Every Monday morning, I would fly to California. And for three hours in the middle of each day, I would just hang out in their lunchroom where they were kind enough not to kick me out. <laughs> the food was tremendous. Okay. And uh, I would just have conversations with people. And after two months of having conversations with people, an opportunity suddenly opened up to be the product that would be shown in their demo center. Wow. Because we were flexible enough to get our product to look like the SAP leaders wanted their product to look, called My SAP, new interface that they'd come up with. And we changed our product to look like an SAP product. And we had the only software in the entire SAP portfolio that could be demonstrated in their multi-million dollar de demo center. Wow. And that turned out to be what allowed us to step-by-step step, uh, understand their other problems and finally be OEM'd into their primary offering. Got us 18,000 customers over time. Wow. Beautiful story. Chris, can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer-focused marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and might help other entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hate to be parochial about this. I wish I could recommend something else. But when you come right down to it, conversations are the lifeblood of business, like conversation we're having here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm not trying to sell anything. It's just if, if you want to come and try uh, the Connect and Sell Lightning platform for a day for free, it, it's an instantaneous on and you get to talk to people. And I'm just such a huge believer in the human voice that I think that the trick to technology is that it needs to be effective. It needs to help you make human connections and to build trust. And the, the digital technologies, starting with email, but even social, even video, it, it has an issue, which is until somebody can hear your response to them, they say something, you say something in conversation back and forth. And all that information can go into their, their midbrain where they make their emotional decisions you really are kind of stuck on the outside. And all the technologies in the world, all the data that's out there, they're fabulous. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a fabulous technology. Yeah. But you need to have conversations. Right. And the data from Zoom Info and Cognizant and Apollo is fabulous. You should definitely use that stuff. But you still need to have conversations. Hmm, beautiful. And I hope we will have the link. in the show notes so people might want to try that. Yeah, well, they have a lot of fun doing it, I can tell you. Our intensive test drive is, I think, the most fun activity in business. My fiancé witnessed one of them once <laughs> down 
at Google Cloud, in fact, in Austin, Texas. And I asked her, what did you think? Now, she's a sales expert. She carries a, a nine-figure quota for Microsoft. Wow. And uh, so big, big, big kind of stuff that she does. And I asked her, what did you think of that? You watched the test drive. There were, I think there were 26 sales reps, and they set 42 meetings in about two and a half hours. And she said, you know, I don't really know anything about these kinds of cold calls at the top of the funnel. That's not the world I live in. I live in the world of big strategic opportunities. But she said, that thing that you guys have at Connect and Sell caused an instantaneous cultural transformation of that sales team. And it did it with no consulting. Nobody came and told them to be happy and engaged. They were just suddenly happy and engaged because they were having lots of conversations. So if you, if anybody listening to this wants to find out what is it like to instantly have your team be excited and having fun doing the one thing you can't get them to do, which is to cold call, that's, that's really what this test drive is that we offer for free. Very interesting. I think I'm going to try it myself. You would be tremendous. You have such a great voice. <laughs> Thank you. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one thing, one factor that really helps us win. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? Patience. <laughs> I am a very, very internally driven person. I'm dissatisfied internally with almost everything. And it's kind of driven my career as, I would say, almost an innovation-oriented entrepreneur. I don't like to build a product and just milk it. I like to see, I, I'm just driven to improve things. And if you're going to innovate, and all entrepreneurs must innovate, you need to have patience because other people are not going to see your innovation as being particularly valuable. I, I remember reading Jeffrey Moore's classic book, Crossing the Chasm, the first time. Yeah. And I had a lot of opportunity to interact with Jeffrey Moore because he was a member of one of my venture capital firm's um, hmm. teams. So I had the good fortune of getting to actually sit with him on multiple occasions and, and wow. uh, get his wisdom. And really, if you think of Crossing the Chasm, it's kind of funny. It's a book about a certain kind of patience. And it's patience to allow others to get comfortable enough with your innovation that they'll talk to other people about it. That's actually what it's about. And yet you don't have much time. So how do you compress time so that you don't go broke and go out of business while still having the patience to stick with your customers and to learn what their real needs are? Very interesting way to look at this book, I must say. I wouldn't put it that way myself. <laughs> My final question, before I will ask you what is the best way to connect with you. My final question is my mountain question. And as our listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain. You know, step after step after step, and then when you reach the peak, usually you look to climb a higher peak. Sometimes you need to go down in order to reach the peak. And 
at some moment I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed the mountain or wished to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? And what a wonderful question for me. I grew up climbing mountains, and I have two, two stories of climbing mountains that I have a lot of stories climbing mountains. I mean, when you climb mountains, and, and I was a big rock, a big wall climber, and I was also a um, fairly serious uh, mountaineer, uh, expedition wow. kind of stuff. And the stories are, you know, you get tons of stories, but two that come to mind. One for me is the story that shaped me. I fell down a mountain when I was 14 years old. I fell on ice and snow and, and cliffs and stuff for about 800 wow. feet. And it wasn't the fall that was so interesting, although part of it was, there was a part of it that was very spiritual, but it was dealing with the aftermath. There was no way to get out that was easy. It took about three days to walk out. Wow. And I was fairly damaged. So um, it taught me something, though, which is you really do only have to take one step at a time. And in this case, the destination hmm. was very important to me. I wanted to get out to where I could be treated by a doctor and, and um, you know, that sort of thing. And my world changed from seeing things in the distance or summits is something you look at and think about being there and instead saying, okay, that's where I want to go. Here's the general idea. Now what's the next step? And if, even if the step hurts or is inconvenient or whatever, go ahead and take that step and then look at the world again from that position. So that was a, that was, I think the lesson that shaped me more than anything. The other stories that come to mind have to do with teams and they have to do with what happens when something doesn't go right. So I was up on a mountain in Mexico once a mountain is called Popocatepetl. I don't think it's climbable right now because it's erupting. It's a volcano, but at the time it was wow. pretty quiet and it had a, a lot of ice, big glacier on the North side. And I was up there with a younger guy. So I was, uh, I think I was 19 and he was 18 years old. And we'd taken the train down from Nogales, Arizona, down to Mexico City and got to the mountain. And he became very, very ill. Oh. So there we were at about 15,500 feet in this hut. And he was ill with mountain sickness in a way that that might have been fatal. He might have gotten a pulmonary edema and, and oh. been, you know, in real trouble. And that was a that was very interesting to me also because it was just the two of us and i just had to put all my focus on my partner on helping him get better and what was so interesting is he did get better and then he made a decision he wanted to go ahead and climb the mountain even though psychologically emotionally it would have been much easier to go down but he wanted to go up and up we went wow. um I was a little bit more of a helper than I normally was on those climbs. And we made the summit with some local guys who were just fantastic people. We'd come up wow. that day from Mexico City. And uh, and it was one of those uh, summits that is I will never forget because of the feeling of responsibility and partnership that I had with this one other human being alone up there in the cold and the ice. Beautiful stories. Beautiful stories. Chris, 
what would be the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Well, I'm easily found on LinkedIn. I'm very active out there. So I'm you know, Chris Beal, B-E-A-L-L, CEO of Connect and Sell. Any LinkedIn query is likely to find me. And uh, I don't always get to all of the offers to connect every day, but uh, you know, I post a fair amount of stuff so somebody could go out and maybe even make a comment or two. And then I have my own podcast with a guy named Corey Frank. It's called Market Dominance Guys, and it's available at marketdominanceguys.com, or you can find it at the connectandsell.com website. Sort of an unusual view of a conversation-first approach to dominating B2B markets. That's great, and we'll put these links in the show notes of this interview. Chris, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Chai. It's really, really, really great being here with you. It has been a pleasure, and take care. You too. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.